Wow, thank you. Thank you, worship team. Thank you guys for being here today. This is, uh, we're moving into Thanksgiving here coming up, right? So this is our Thanksgiving service. I was telling Michelle that normally when, um, you know, I come for special days, that it's always been real challenging to, as a pastor, to talk about, uh, you know, just a special day, just just particular uh, holiday or whatever. And uh, so I typically have defaulted into carrying on with a series and not uh, moving apart from that to identify a particular kind of day. Uh, but I do want to talk to you about Thanksgiving today from a very special perspective. So my assignment today is to help you better understand the 23rd Psalm. So you can find your place there. We're going to look there in just a moment. But I was thinking on the way up here this morning about Thanksgiving, and uh, Michelle and I have been talking about the traditions, you know, that we have carried forward in Thanksgiving, and they were challenged uh, by my oldest daughter, who's a very creative uh, pastry chef and cook, and she's like, I like different things, that we need to bring something different, and and then us thinking about the traditional things that we really like and look forward to, it's not that they that we have them every day of the year, but it's that time of year when when we do. So what I wanted to find out from you is like, what is your favorite uh, side dish that goes along with um, the turkey, okay? So we'll do this by raise of hand in the building, and, and if you are watching us online, then you can just post it in the comments what your favorite uh, dish is that goes along with um, the turkey, okay? So I'm going to uh, start with the... I can't even think of what we'd call it, like the casserole that is made with yams and has the, usually the marshmallows over the top of it and stuff like that. Who, who's, that's your favorite, like to go along with the turkey, okay? So not really seeing, oh, a couple of hands up there, okay, awesome. Uh, what about uh, cranberry sauce? Who, who really, like, got to have, that's me, I have to have cranberry sauce with the turkey or there is just, it's not Thanksgiving, right? How about green bean casserole? That's one that, uh, yep, there we go. Okay, got to put your hands on that. Mashed potatoes. Who's like, okay, a mashed potato fans are all in the building. And uh, let me see if I'm, what am I eliminating? Forgetting you call out. Stuffing. Yes, stuffing. Who's like big? Michelle is a huge, she, like, she has that special gravy that goes over the top of the stuffing, and that's huge. She just has to have that on the plate somewhere. So we're heading into Thanksgiving, and uh, it is awesome to think about, and we're all going to put on like uh, a pound or two, you know, minimum, but that's okay. Just this one time a year that we can do that, all right? Uh, the 23rd Psalm is my assignment with you today. We're going to take a look at it and see what it says to us about Thanksgiving. You're titling the message, Taking Notes Today. I've titled it Freedom from Want, and you'll see why in just a moment. I really do love the uh, painting by Norman Rockwell. It's uh, the lady bringing the turkey in and, and uh, you know, to the family. And, and she's, uh, you know, the grandmother, obviously, and the grandfather's there. And everybody is kind of looking on. This is the exciting moment when the turkey arrives. <laughs> Everything else is on the table. It's all set up beautifully. And uh, I love this, this, this picture. That, that, and this painting, you might want to know a little historic uh, history behind it, uh, this, that painting is called Freedom from Want. 
freedom from want. It was the fourth in a series of freedom paintings by uh, Norman Rockwell. He painted in 1943 during World War II, and it was in support of the vision by uh, President Roosevelt. And uh, Franklin uh, Delano Roosevelt in 1941 State of the Union Address, the president outlined the reasons for our country's support of the Allied nations uh, in World War II. And in his speech, Roosevelt promoted the concept of the four basic freedoms to which all people are entitled. And those four basic freedoms that he outlined was the freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. And it was from those speeches that uh, Norman Rockwell painted his four freedom paintings, and this was one of those four. And uh, that's how we got this beautiful Thanksgiving painting that came to be uh, known as Freedom from Want. And it is, uh, it is very nostalgic. Many of you have seen it before. It is idealistic, and it was intended to be that way. Uh, the ideal of what Thanksgiving would be like. It's not really everybody's Thanksgiving uh, gathered as family like this, but it is the idealistic idea of coming together and having Thanksgiving. And when your survival is being threatened, uh, when you are uh, underneath crisis and difficulty and challenges, then you want your very best dreams. And that was the idea behind what Norman Rockwell was painting. You, you want the very best of you to be uh, remembered and embraced and thought about as you are fighting for the future. And Thanksgiving is a, is a great dream for our nation, but the truth is that Rockwell's painting is a dream that is best dreamt by us uh, as Americans in days of trial. Thanksgiving was first proclaimed by General Washington amidst a heroic and costly struggle for freedom from uh, a mother, the mother country. A national thanksgiving came to uh, all of us as a, as a nation when a tired and visionary leader named Lincoln called for a day of national gratitude amidst the backdrop of the bloodiest war in American history. This year, Thanksgiving uh, comes at a time when our world is facing a pandemic and the divide in our nation has never been more evident. I want to read this passage that calls us to thanksgiving in ways that maybe you don't understand, but will when we finish this message. The 23rd Psalm, one that is very familiar to us, we've often heard read and quoted and is a comfort psalm for many, and uh, yet I don't think fully understood in terms of what is the key center of this passage. And I want to read it to you as we prepare to unpack it and see what the 23rd Psalm is saying to us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And we read this last passage with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to receive your word, to fully understand and appropriate what we need to, to bring this passage alive for each of us as individuals. I thank you, Lord, for Thanksgiving as a time of remembering and gratitude. We recognize that that is every day for us as those who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ. How thankful we are for the forgiveness of sins, for the mercy of heaven. Lord, how thankful we are for all that you have blessed us with. Lord, everything that is, is because you spoke it into existence. Even us, the very breath of life that we have, we're grateful for. Our families, our loved ones, our friends, we thank you every day and every moment. But as we focus as a nation on the difficult season that we are in, let us as a church help our world see Thanksgiving in a different way than they have before. In Jesus' name, amen. We are this year heading towards Thanksgiving. It comes at a time that we're facing a pandemic. We are a divided nation, as never before it has been so prominently displayed. <clears throat> Battles still rage about the most recent election. Nearly 150 million Americans voted and in, in this most recent election, and the vote by state split nearly 50-50. Social unrest in our nation led to billions of dollars recently of destruction in major cities and across there, the, these cities has been a tragic loss of life. And in this dark moment in human history, the opening words of the 23rd Psalm reveal the source of all thanksgiving. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How deep is this truth, the 23rd Psalm, Today, I, I hope that we can probe it together and take a look at it, not from the perspective of a prosperity gospel, but from a deeper look at the word that is not highlighted for us in the slide, but a key to our understanding of this verse, actually the key center of the entire psalm. I've been reading a book recently that uh, was given to me by one of my seminary professors, uh, Dr. John Hunsinger, and he presented it to me right before my graduation, uh, received my master's in practical theology, and it was a gift from him, and Dr. Hunsinger was, was one of the editors, and this uh, book was titled, The Pastor and the Kingdom, and it's essays by, that were honoring uh, Pastor Jack Hayford. Only recently, though, was I able to really pick this book up and, and begin to kind of read through it and, and uh, in a way that I could you know, have an open schedule to just receive uh, what the book was saying and, and, and read through it. Page 167, uh, I want to share with you a, a, a paragraph there that I read that, that really stuck out, fits with what we're going to talk about today. 
And this is Pastor Jack Hayford talking, and he says, What I'm about to confess to you is not in any way attributable to Pastor Rick Warren or Saddleback Church. I love and honor them and their ministry. I was a ministry success in many respects during those seasons, and I am thankful recipient of great leadership and reaching. Let's stop there for just a moment, give you a little background. Um, Pastor Jack Hayford is a bridge builder, and uh, we used to go to the Autumn Leadership Conferences, which would happen uh, generally in October, and uh, there were, he would always, always bringing in ministers, and I remember just at the beginning of uh, Rick Warren's ministry starting to take off in Saddleback, he had him come in. We were so impressed with Rick and his heart for God. Uh, in fact, he brought uh, the materials that we now freely use, a lot of us in churches all across America, and just gave them to pastors. At his expense, he had copied these things off and and you could tell the hurried pace with which his poor staff had copied them off for 2,000 pastors to receive an individual copy uh, and a little booklet on uh, how he's, uh, what later became a book that he wrote about uh, uh, success in, as, uh, for pastors. And it's a purpose-driven church. We're all familiar with um, the, the purpose-driven life. This was called the purpose-driven church. And it was the materials that they were using to um, help churches assimilate people into their body and grow forward. Uh, classes 101, 102, 103, 104, many of you are familiar with now, have uh, been somewhere where this has been enacted. And uh, first base, second base, third base, and home plate, and all of these purposes of each individual being appropriated into God's great purposes and what he has in store. So setting the stage for what uh, I'm going to read here and what he's going to talk about, um, Pastor Hayford's church was ex had been exploding for some time before Rick Warren's church really began to take off. And there were two campuses uh, where they were meeting, uh, and they were about a mile apart. And you never knew where Pastor Hayford was going to be. He was going to be at the east or the west campus. And he purposely kept it that way because he didn't want one campus to fill up with a whole bunch of people and the other one to be nearly empty or whatever, or people to be upset. So during the course of like a worship service, you, he would just disappear. You would re suddenly realize he was gone. He had driven down into the other campus, and uh, he would pop up there, and you would see him on the, the video behind us. And both campuses were worshiping at the same time, and the video was, was showing them leading worship. They each had their individual worship teams, but they were all on the same note, the same key, the same time. I don't know how they did it. It was an absolute amazing thing to, to be a part of on a Sunday service and to see there was a lot of growth that was taking place, explosive ministry and, and revival taking place in Los Angeles during these seasons of time. And uh, this goes uh, back probably to the mid-1990s, somewhere along that line. So he says that uh, uh, in setting it up, that what he's about to say is in no way reflective of, of Rick Warren's use of purpose, purpose-driven church, purpose-driven life. He's saying something deeper to us that I want you to hold on to. He says, but a nagging dis-ease continued to gnaw at my soul during those years. Even now, I continue to grapple with the reality of how deeply embedded a subtle deception was and occasionally is in my spirit. The truth would unmask me more than once. I loved the purpose of God. 
more than the presence, I led the people of God to fulfill his purposes, but not enjoy his presence. His presence. When we read through the 23rd Psalm, we see the great shepherd. And all of us can remember this, this passage or various uh, parts of this that we have uh, identified with and that become comfort for us. And perhaps many of you may have uh, some of this verse or all of it hanging in your home somewhere as a reminder to you. And, and when we look at the great shepherd, we see uh, in this passage that, that he, uh, what does he do? He makes me lay down. He makes me rest. He, he leads me beside calm waters, the calm waters that I might be able to see in them as a mirror, the reflection of myself with my shepherd uh, standing side by side. He restores my soul, uh, my very salvation. He leads me in right paths. There is a way, we're told in Proverbs, that seems right to a man, but it's only the shepherd that is leading us right, right? There's always a way that seems right to us. I was talking with uh, Nick before service and just the frustration as a, as a spiritual leader at times, watching people want God to approve their direction. You know, they, 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 they uh, come initially with a sincerity of like wanting life change. And, uh, and, and God does it. He, he brings life change. He, he brings forgiveness. He brings mercy. He brings grace. But immediately, what they want to do is to walk it out the way they want to walk it out. And, and, and they don't want to do surrender fully to his way. I, I Get started with Jesus, but add all these other things, and that's how, that's how it's going to work for me. And, and it just doesn't work that way. It is, it is a matter of complete surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ or nothing at all. He leads me in paths of righteousness. There's a way that seems right to me. He leads me the right way. He prepares a place at the table for, e for me, even when I'm surrounded by my enemies. There's always a place for me, the shepherd has provided. He has anointed me to declare his glory. And then because of the, the lordship over his life and and my experience of, of the great shepherd's lordship over my life, we read in this, in this psalm, I fear no evil. There's, there's not anything that we go through that brings about fear for me that alters the course of the mission that God has placed on my life. I fear no evil because he's with me. And he is greater than any circumstance I'm going to get uh, come in contact with. And we read also in the psalm that I am comforted by his rod and his staff, even in correction. I'm comforted by him. I love being in his presence. When I do bad, I don't want to run away. I want to run to, right? I want to run to him and be in his presence. I need his comfort, even when it involves correction in my life. We see in the psalm, my needs are met and exceeded 
My cup, he used the language, my cup runs over. It's not just filled for that moment and that, that time, but it runs over. So he always, you know, over-delivers on his promises. And, and there's always an abundance, like there is at Thanksgiving, you know, when we walk away from the table and, and we come back again, you know, several times, and there's an abundance, it's not running out, and for days after, it seems like the fridge is filled, and there's uh, something available, and we're talking about favorites for Thanksgiving, and, and sometimes that the slab of that cold turkey, you know, uh, on, a, on a, a couple of pieces of white bread with a, some tomatoes and, and mayonnaise. Oh, that right there, man, that's a ticket, right? <laughs> and that happens even after Thanksgiving, right? After the initial abundance. And then it says, goodness and mercy, mercy they're easily accessible to me because they follow me all the days of my life. They're always accessible to me. I'm looking for, in a world of evil, I'm looking for goodness. And it's just right here. It's just in my presence with my shepherd. It's just in the presence with God, always abiding with me. I don't have to look far at all to find goodness. Goodness is following around. And mercy, I slipped up, I made a mistake. Mercy is, is with me all the days of my life. And then it says, that you know what we read uh, towards the end of the verse is, is the eternal home is secured. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. There's no question about it because I belong to Him, He belongs to me. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But in this passage that we read and we love, all of these things that I have talked about, there's a word that we overlook in the psalm or fail to appropriate for our own reality. And it is the key to this entire passage. If you don't understand the meaning of this one word in the psalm, it just becomes poetic comfort. It becomes idealistic, like the Norman Rockwell painting that what I would like to have that's hanging in the kitchen or etched on a plaque, and it really is not appropriated to your life in meaningful ways. It just is the value of it simply becomes the beauty of the plaque and the poetry of the words. We can look at it and we can sigh wishfully. We can, we can hang on to certain phrases that, that tend to bring us comfort in the midst of a crisis. We might love the section that says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And we might quote that or read that and, and it bring a sense of comfort to us. And often this is a passage we've read at funerals and, and uh, people are comforted by these words. But when we walk away from that moment of, of poetry, that moment of emotional experience, if this one word has not really been appropriated, then it becomes just meaningless. It's just an art piece. It's just, it's just work that, that hangs like that picture hangs in a, in a gallery somewhere as, as something that we can look at that is a sense of beauty, but it's not really appropriated to our life in a meaningful way. Or we might like the passage that says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. That might bring us tremendous comfort in the midst of loss or a season of illness and sickness and a time that we're fearful about our own lives and what might be going on in the midst of a pandemic or whatever. We might read words like that and just 
get great comfort from it, but we walk away, and as, as, as James said, you know, as a man who looks in the mirror and, and walks away and forgets what manner of man he was. In other words, James is saying, you look in the mirror, and then you walk away and forget what you look like, so you have to go do it again. You go look and see, my hair in place, I forgot to look and, and check and see if there was anything on my mustache or in my beard, the food from today, or whatever it was. I forgot what manner of man that I was. I forgot what I looked like. And, and so that is us when we have not appropriated this one word, we walk away and we lose the true reality of what this psalm is all about. Without this one word, we lose the hope of the entire psalm. And what is that word? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. To live free of want means to appropriate the word my. The word my. Move from religion to relationship with the great shepherd. He is not just uh, someone that I look to in in the sense of of difficult times to gain a little bit of comfort and and hope and, and an experiential kind of a thing that can wash over me in a moment. But this is... Deeper than that, He is my shepherd. He's in it with me. When I go through the crisis and the difficulties, He's in the boat with me. To do what we're talking about requires that that word, my, is appropriated to your life. We are called to follow our shepherd. And so the question comes, who is the shepherd? Who are we following? To appropriate my in the Psalms is never to want again. And we're not talking about a prosperity gospel. And how are we not? How are we not talking about the Lord is is my shepherd, I shall not want, He's going to provide for me, He's going to take care of me. How are we not talking about what those who believe a prosperity gospel, you know that Jesus is is just, one of His main jobs is just to provide for you Every single thing that you need is that, you know, Christians should be, you know, the most wealthy. Christians should be the most successful. Christians should be rising to the highest plateaus of of leadership. They should be empowered by virtue of having a big bank account and, and able to do a lot of things and be movers and shakers. How are we not saying that that's what this psalm is talking about? We're not saying that because what you want is not what he gives. What you want is Him. The Lord is my shepherd. And even when you don't recognize it and realize that that's what you want, you think you want something other than that, you think you want something else or someone else or some other place or some status or some title or some opportunity, this psalm takes us back to the center when we read it exegetically when we read it, you know, properly with proper hermeneutics practiced and we look for the key center of this passage. It is at the beginning where it's my shepherd. My shepherd opens the door for all of this. My relationship with him. I want him. Not what he gives. Because in having that relationship with him, I have access to all that he is and all that he offers. And all that ever will be. 
It's not just idealistic. Thanksgiving, out of this psalm, it flows the true meaning of it. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. And the result of him being my shepherd is I, I don't want for anything. Because all I want is him. All I want is what I have in him. He brings me peace. He brings me comfort. He brings me a sense of purpose and reason for being. He brings me family. He brings me identity. He, in, in having relationship with him, I have it all. And so everything else that's beyond that in this psalm is the cup running over. You see where, where we're going with this? When I have my shepherd, I have all that I need. It's capped off. But everything else that he brings is cup running over. It's the abundance that, that comes into my life as a result of my shepherd relationship. He's mine. I surrendered. I belong to him. He belongs to me. Everything else that's coming out of that is, is just the abundance and the overflow of what's happening. God help us that we can appropriate the word my in this psalm before we start trying to etch it on a plaque and frame it up and put it on our walls, that it will be written in our hearts. His, he said that your name is graven in his hands, in the palm of his hands. Is his name written on your heart? Is the Lord your shepherd?